Welcome to the Emotioneering Podcast with me, Melissa Curran, founder and CEO of the Modern Mind Group. We're dedicated to improving your people skills so that you can have better relationships with others for a much more fulfilling life or career. People skills are not just a nice to have, they're a have to have. So when it comes to organizations as well, this really does impact the workplace and the results that you'll get from that. We're going to be delving into topics such as emotional intelligence, communication, leadership, workplace well-being, mental health, culture, and performance. I'm going to be answering your questions on all of these topics and sharing some insights from my career to help you move forward and definitely emotioneer a modern mindset. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel or on the Facebook page as well as LinkedIn. We look forward to connecting with you there. So in this episode, we're going to be looking at how we emotioneer a well-being strategy, how to make it work. Why is it not working for you? And let's have a look at that today. Well, a big part of why a well-being strategy or training plan won't work is because we are viewing it as a project. It is not BAU. Why is it not BAU? If you are viewing your well-being strategy as icing on the cake and not the actual eggs and the flour that create the cake, then there's a fundamental flaw. So that's why it's not working. We know that 70% of projects will fail. So if you are viewing your well-being strategy as a project or a tick box exercise and something to just do while the pandemic or while people are working from home, it's not going to work. It has to become business as usual. So how do we help it become business as usual? Well, there's a lot of things that we can do to do that, but that's what you want to start thinking about. How can it become business as usual? The more successful well-being coaches out there and consultants will say to you, it needs to be part of your roadmap. It needs to be part of your strategy. It can't be a sideline. And when things get tough, you can't just stop and say, oh, no, I'm not going to do that today. It needs to be part of the strategy. So when it comes to the well-being of your people or of you as an individual, what we first must understand is the four big human needs. There's a great book by Damien Hughes, who also talks about these four big human needs. And they are to be valued, to be in control, to be safe, and to belong. Okay, that's, those are them, right? They are our big human needs. And if we think about those and how we shape a working environment or our own personal environments for people, then we start to understand, well, actually, let's look at what's not working with making our people feel valued or myself feel valued in this home environment as a start. What about if I feel I want to be in control? What am I not in control of? You only have to look at the last 12 months of our lives to feel like a lot of things got taken away from us and made us feel like we were not in control. That's where fear comes from. That's where we start to worry about the future. So there's definitely things that we can do to feel a little bit more in control and to to be part of the decision-making process of our lives. When we look at being safe, safety, oh, you know, a roof over our head, being able to survive, ultimately that's what safety is, but also to feel secure in your workplace. You know, there's 
a lot of contracts out there that are zero hour contracts and right now yes a lot of people would just love to be back in work if we look at the current climate and we'll take that because they need to work and I totally understand it but long term does it make you feel safe having a very flexible contract some people are quite happy with that when we think about the safety within our home environment how safe does it feel are we able to sleep at night and have peace of mind because those are ultimate needs that we want and if we're not and please reach out if they are struggling. There are people that can help you. But if we're not able to sleep at night and we really don't feel safe within our living environment, then again, our whole well-being and our mindset is going to be altered because of that. And to belong, to have a sense of community, to feel like we're included, we're involved, that we are part of the team. We're not excluded or, or left out of situations or out of decisions. So those are the things that we want. So think about how can we actually improve that in the situations that we're in. Now, there is a lot of people that can help control that, you know, if you're young and there's your parents in your home. But then you've also got to look at the leadership and the senior leadership team within the workplace because it is ultimately their responsibility to help shape the environment that you work in every day. You play a part in that. Of course you do. That's how you will belong. That's how you can feel valued is by speaking up. But if they're not setting the tone of the environment and you're not feeling like you're in a space where you're able to do that, then it is totally going to affect your well-being and your mindset. So when I think of the environment that we put our employees into or our family members right we we have to think about environment as every part of our lives who we associate with where we live who we spend our time with work is a big factor of that i look at the canary concept right years and years ago miners took these canaries the same color as my jacket they took these canaries and they put them in a cage down into the mines in the deep dark mines to tell them if the environment was too toxic right and they'd be chipping away i'm sure they weren't happy being in the dark environment but the minute it became toxic what happened to the canaries they weren't singing anymore that's for sure the toxic environment would finish off the canaries so that everybody else could get out right so think about your environment like that what kind of environment are you creating is it this nice bright environment where things will thrive or is it actually a toxic environment? And I can go into more into toxic environments, uh, I'm sure, on a future podcast. But if you are creating a toxic environment, then your people are not going to be happy. They're not going to sing. Canaries don't sing in toxic environments, right? Let's create happier, healthier teams. Let's create happier, healthier family life, happier, healthier social lives. It's about the environment that we put people in. It's always about the environment that we put people in. So how to improve workplace well-being? Well, for a start, understand that leadership have a big part to play, right? They have a massive part to play, and it is in how they are communicating with their team or not communicating, as the case may be. I recently worked with a company where we found out that the operations manager was communicating with the team, new employees, I may add, you know, the 90 day induction plan was 
in communicating with them only by messaging through Teams and by email. So one of the most influential figures in the business hasn't you know, had a video call, hasn't picked up the phone to have a conversation with someone to share the vision. They're communicating with new employees just by email or messaging. That's, there's something fundamentally wrong with that. The leaders play a part. And you know what? The middle manager will feel that. If that's what the senior operational team are doing, then the middle managers are going to end up doing that too, which means that how are your frontline employees feeling? Not great. I can assure you of that. If you have people crying in your business on a daily basis, it is not a great culture or a great place to work. They're not doing that because of outside factors. At the, the place we go to work should be a sanctuary at times. It should be somewhere that we can escape from maybe some of our personal problems for a little while. Now, I don't agree with saying just leave them at the door when you come in. That's not what that's about. But you should have somebody there that you can speak to and let them know what's going on with you, but then can be empathetic and help you to excel when you are in work and can help you feel better. It should be a fun environment, one where you can thrive, achieve, feel motivated, feel valued. Another thing to do to improve your workplace well-being and to implement a great strategy is to understand that the responsibility does not lie with the new mental health first aider that you have put in to work in the organization it does not lie with them why because one they're not their line manager to to the people and two just because you've given someone the title of <laughs> mental health first aider does not mean that it is going to be the best person to speak to. Here's the other thing, is that when it comes to responding, which is what first aiders in, in all sense of health do, they respond to a situation rather than react, great. But how equipped are they to do that? Let me ask you that. And I think, again, education is great. You're giving someone a foundation and something that they can start to build on and learn. But they're learning a process. OK, when it comes to mental health first aid, they're learning a process. They're not necessarily learning how to communicate with that individual with a mental health challenge. That's what counsellors do. That's what therapists do. It's also what leaders do, by the way, which makes it so close, because how we communicate one to one with human beings on a one to one basis impacts their life. It impacts their mind. So. Yes, we can have some type of strategy or process to follow when it gets to the crisis. But what are we doing prior to that? What are we doing? Because if there's risky situations prior to first aid being required or not a great environment, then one, that first aid is probably going to be overrun with people wanting to talk to them potentially, or people aren't going to go to them anyway because they're going to think, again, it's icing on the cake and it isn't changing the overall circumstance. So why do I need to speak to that person? I'm also not convinced that having a mental health first aider is normalizing mental health. It's not normalizing mental health. Actually, first aid in itself is required because of risk and the minimal amount of support. It doesn't normalize it. It doesn't make it normal. Of course, it is not normal that people break their legs, right? First aid response. It's not normal that someone, these things do happen to us. I agree. It's not normal that someone has a heart attack or has a, a reason to pick up the phone to ring 999 or to get a paramedic, right? If we look at mental health first aid and what it's packaging up to be, then 
it's not it's it's not normalizing it because it's making it feel like it's something out of the norm when actually mental health is part of a normal process it's our well-being and our mental well-being and how we feel emotionally is normal so why do we need an emergency response yes because there are people that go way past the point into crisis so mental health first aid plays a part in crisis which actually can happen at many more points in our lives because life pulls the rug from under us and we go through many different experiences we you know have breakdowns of relationships with people that can really affect our mental health we can lose our pets we can lose loved ones that really impacts our mental health absolutely so we can go through crisis some of us have been through crisis more than once but did we have other people to support us around that or was it we only needed the support when it got to crisis point can we help people just on a day-to-day basis so it doesn't have to be aiding to a response it is something that just happens as a normal activity so yeah it's an interesting topic to talk about and one that I'm clearly passionate about let's talk about the number one reason people don't reach out or speak to people trust t-r-u-s-t trust the number one factor if you have people in your workplace that other people do not trust, toxic work culture, they will not speak to them. I used to have to say to people in, in work, I cannot stop you from drowning if I do not know you're in the pool. That's inviting people to speak to you. And it's I need to find a way to help this person speak to me. But if they don't trust me, they're not going to come to me and they're not going to talk to me about the things that are going on with them. And if every time I have a one-to-one with them, it becomes about numbers and about figures and about success and results rather than the individual and the individual's motivations, they're not going to trust me because they don't feel like I care that I'm not valuing them as a whole, a holistic individual that's in front of me. And I agree, this hasn't been the traditional level of leadership that we've known within the workplace but times are changing times are changing very quickly ai a lot of the time or the software and tools will tell us the metrics but numbers don't make people people make numbers so what is going on with the people that's what we need to figure out because then we can start to look at the data not it only tells one side of the story and i love a good statistic i absolutely love it but I understand where that comes from. And I understand that it can also be damaging as well as strengthening in a business or in a relationship. So be mindful of that. Another reason why implementation and consultation works in the coaching process is because 85% of what we do is automatic. We learn a pattern. It feels a bit at first, but then our brain gets used to it. Once we've done it at least 300 times, it starts to become an autonomic process, something that happens without us having to think about it. And I'll give you an example. Fold your arms. Take a moment. Fold your arms right now. Now fold them the other way. You didn't really have to think about the first one, but the second one you really did need to think about. You could do it, I'm sure, or at least 90% of you could, but you had to think about it. And that's the challenge that you have when it comes to implementing a new process. There has to be repetition. There has to be reminders and things to help people put it in place. 
the how is so important and that follow-up because if it isn't part of it again they're going to go back to old habits that's why it takes time to change something we have to we have to move it into the conscious mind away from the unconscious mind because the unconscious mind old habits die hard right we will go back to the norm. So without that reminder, without that accountability, without that level of responsibility, it is not going to work. So who's focusing on that for you? Who is? When it comes to a well-being strategy, the number one, number one thing that you should do before you implement it or start to even think about it is talk to your employees. Find out what is not working for them because it may not be a training workshop that they need. Maybe that they want to have a better relationship with their manager. And actually, the fact that they're doing an incredible workload that used to be three people's worth of work is now on their shoulders and they're struggling with that. So they need some support, but they don't get that support because they don't speak to their manager so is it actually a well-being strategy that you need? Yes, I agree that everybody can be more educated on how to look after their personal mental well-being and their physical well-being. Absolutely, without a doubt. Education is one thing, but listening to your employees, listening to what change they want. If, you know, if there is a challenge within the household as well, if you think about your family life, if you're trying to improve the environment, you have to start by listening take it in, sit there, don't say anything, feel the pain, let them tell you all the things that aren't working so that you can start to piece together a way to a better future, a way to change things. But everybody has to be part of that process. We can't just think, oh, I'll do this, that'll work. You have to listen to people. And that's where consultants come in because we have listened to people previously and we will still encourage you to listen and talk and get people involved in that process. But we've been through that. We've had experience. We've worked in other situations and other organizations where we've helped to implement things along the way and we've seen the results. So we can talk from a, a confidence and experienced perspective. We know it's going to make a difference. That's why I can be so confident talking about it on here. But you have to listen to your people regardless of what environment you're in that's where we have to start start by asking them the difficult questions but being prepared for the answer I will never forget I worked somewhere and I made a recommendation and I said look we really need to do an employee engagement survey we really need to find out what the people think actually it would have been better to do it face to face or in small sessions where people can just be honest but people are scared to be honest so when you run an engagement survey they can really fill it out afterwards or it can be anonymous so you can find out some of the real crux of what is going on within your organization right they fill in an engagement survey where they give insights where you can understand the organization and, and what is going on in the ground a lot more but anyway I remember in this one circumstance where I made this recommendation that we need to start with an employee engagement survey and what I was told was oh no let's not do it now I don't think that the timing is right let me tell you, the timing is always right to listen to your people. It's not when you're just about to change the commission structure or you're just about to break up for Christmas. You should always be talking to your employees about what they want and how they feel and what they like and what they don't like. It should not be a case of timing when it comes to your employee engagement survey. Okay, too much is overkill. Can't be giving a survey to them 
you know, every day. Come on, we could try. <laughs> it would be a good start for some some businesses. You can't you can't necessarily do it like that. But to understand your people, at least on a regular basis, to get some type of feedback, it's the place to start. It's this place to start to change your culture because culture is a feeling. It's it's how you feel when you are somewhere, and that is emotions and that's emotioneering right you wouldn't start to fix a car before you realize what was wrong with it so why do we do that when it comes to working environments find the answers first don't get me wrong if you are training your staff if you are getting well-being speakers in and they are having some type of exposure to talk and to listen to somebody that is sharing some insights on how to improve well-being, that is a great start. Some businesses aren't even there. So that's great. If your if your employers are doing that, if you're doing that for your employees, fantastic. But what we tend to see happen is that, and, and your employees will be aware of this, it will feel like a tick box exercise. If you treat it as one, that is what it is going to feel like to them. They're not silly. They're empathetic human beings. They have heart. They understand compassion. And they're going to feel it that way, right? If you make it part of your induction process to have a tick box exercise on a mental health awareness course, which I was exposed to as part of actually um, a government process last year. If you make it a 30 minute e-learning video that you just want everyone to go through and then nothing after that happens, it's not going to be an effective well-being strategy. It's not actually going to normalize it. If you're normalizing something, it becomes part and parcel of everything that you do. You create the environment where it's normalized, right? If it's not normalized, it's going to be like light and shade. What happens to flowers when they're in the dark? Do not survive. They do not survive. So it has to be normalized by always being there. It can't be hidden away or something that you only talk about when times get tough. It has to be part of the overall strategy of the business. Okay. Another top tip for you when it comes to improving workplace well-being, ensure there is an operational change and a blueprint change. I did talk about it a little bit further back in the podcast, but ultimately there has to be a change. It has to become part of the cake, right? It has to be because if it is not there and it doesn't become part of the operational process, it's not going to work. I worked with some managers and leaders recently and it was, yeah, can you can you do a workshop with them based on empathy? Well, that's part of it. And this is where training fails because training is not coaching and implementation. It is one side. In order for change to take place, there must be follow-up and implementation. So if you're thinking about booking a workshop or a training workshop, there has to be at least two. Why? Because follow-up, there needs to be some type of implementation or chance to give it a go in between the first one and the second one so that you can come back and say, great, how did you feel? What happened? What did you say? What did you struggle with? What worked really well? Tell me, I want to know. And then, again, you can reinforce the great behaviors, the positives, and you can support with the things that didn't go so great. And guess what? Whether you have an external person come in the third time, somebody needs to be following that up. Who is taking the responsibility to ensure that what you want implemented happens? Does it happen? Are the actions followed? Did the action create a result? Who's following that up? If nobody is, then you're wasting your time with the first one because 
very minimal change will take place. So yeah, again, a great consultant will tell you that. And they'll work with you to make it right. It needs to be part of the strategy. It needs to be part of the blueprint, the roadmap, your operational execution. It can't be a sideline or something to chop when things get tough. It has to be in there day in, day out. Okay. That's how you make it business as usual. It is not a project. It certainly is not. You can start a pilot and start to see how your team react to the process, but you're, t you're changing a culture. You're not just giving something a go. It's not a project. And culture transformation means it has to become part of your daily operation. It has to become part of your strategy. So what's the problem? The problem is you're viewing your well-being strategy as icing on the cake instead of realizing it is the cake. It has to be part of the process. And any consultant worth their salt will tell you that. If they are worth it, they will tell you. It cannot be the answer to do a training workshop. That is something that's nice, yes. And it will have some reactions from your team and it will show them that you're valuing their development and that their well-being on some level. But it won't change things long-term. It's not gonna change things long-term because implementation, follow-up and actions is where change happens. Belief takes a long time to change. And that's, that's what we need. That's what they need. That's what your people need. So let's start today. What's stopping you? Thanks for listening to the Emotioneering Podcast with me, Melissa Curran, today. It's been great. Remember to subscribe to Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or all three. You can also come to the website, modernmindgroup.com, where you can subscribe there, stay in contact, and let us know what you really think. Give us the feedback. This is going to get better by knowing what you think. Uh, has this given you food for thought? Has it helped you change something? What has it inspired? Let us know because that's why we're doing it. It's all about the people, people, people. <laughs> Have a great day and ciao for now.